This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio on 1160 AM, 103.1 FM, WMET, the Guadalupe Radio Network. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. With us today on Catholic Review Radio is William J. McCarthy, Jr., Executive Director of Catholic Charities for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. Bill McCarthy joined Catholic Charities in August 2009. Before that, he was the market president for SunTrust Bank, Maryland. He also has experience in wealth management, other executive positions, and tax law. But as Executive Director of Catholic Charities, Bill oversees one of the largest non-governmental service agencies in the state, with more than 2,000 employees and 10,000 volunteers. Welcome to the show, Bill. Good day, Chris. Bill, it's got to be a massive undertaking to oversee such a large system. Can you give the listeners a quick overview of the services that Catholic Charities offers throughout the state? And I know this could take a day or two, but we don't have that much time. I, I appreciate that, Chris. Yeah, Catholic Charities is the largest human service agency in the state of Maryland. Uh, We have more than 80 programs in 200 locations across the state, primarily serving uh, individuals within Baltimore City and the nine counties west of the Bay. We really focus on working with people in five situations, children and families in poverty, uh, children and families in crisis, older Marylanders, individuals with intellectual disabilities, and our new neighbors in the immigrant community. How have those services been affected by the pandemic? I think every constituency has been dramatically affected by the pandemic. Uh, People's circumstances are different for sure, but we've all uh, felt it. The way I I like uh, to describe it is we were were caused to uh, respond on a dime, uh, really in early March, with all of our programs requiring us to prioritize what we could do immediately Uh, what we needed to continue to do directly, and also um, what we could do uh, remotely. And some things, frankly, we had to stop doing uh, for a while. For example, as you mentioned at the outset, we have 10,000 volunteers. Uh, We've stopped volunteers uh, from being able to help us since the beginning of the pandemic on uh, March 16th, in this case with volunteers, for two, two primary purposes. One is to make sure that our volunteers are safe and healthy. And also for uh, many of the populations we serve that are very vulnerable, we didn't want or weren't able to introduce uh, people from the outside to that environment. To be more specific, Chris, uh, all of our meals programs uh, across um, our network um, are, are being done as grab and go as opposed to sit down meals. So somebody will come uh, to the dining room at our daily bread, they'll, they'll get a, a meal to go and that'll be it. And the same things were happening at my sister's place, my brother's keeper, St. Edward's and all of our programs as well. I think about uh, our nursing home at St. Elizabeth's. It was very difficult, you know, initially not allowing family members to visit Uh, with their loved ones there. But in order uh, to keep uh, people well and safe, 
programs like our uh, St. Elizabeth's Nursing Home, Caritas Assisted Living, our independent living communities, even of senior communities throughout the state of Maryland, we kind of limited and restricted uh, the access that way. And that required us uh, to offer additional services uh, for independent living, grocery and pantry uh, and other services as well. As uh, you might know, Chris, we're one of the largest providers of behavioral health and mental health services throughout the archdiocese and throughout the state of Maryland. And we've gone completely remote in terms of our telehealth services for behavioral health. So to give you a sense of it, it's a little over 200 clinicians and 4,000 patient visits a week. Wow. That's got to be a tough kind of pivot for you since so much of your services are face-to-face, one-on-one, upholding the dignity of people, even the meal service. You know, it's a plated meal that's, that's served, not a, not dished out on their, uh, you know, from, from cafeteria pans. You, you really take the dignity of people seriously. And so you've had to shift now to doing telehealth, grab-and-go, those kinds of things. What kind of impact has that had on your staff? It's a dramatic Im- impact. I have 1,250 frontline workers that uh, have had essentially had to work without the support of volunteers in a direct way and have had to engage our clients and our guests in different ways as well. So it's been as much a cultural shift, a service delivery shift, and a relational shift uh, for my colleagues as it has been uh, for the people we're privileged to work with and serve. And also the dynamics between Uh, Much of our staff, as I said, the majority work indirectly, but those working remotely and how do we continue to engage and support each other has certainly been a a challenge. Uh, A couple of other things I meant to mention at the outset that have changed dramatically are the shelters, for example. Oh, yeah. We operate the largest shelter in Baltimore City on the Fallsway across from our daily bread. When the pandemic broke, I was particularly concerned about our shelter guests. Our shelter guests, uh, many are medically compromised. They're living in dorms of 75 people, certainly not socially distant. And so really an at-risk population in terms of coronavirus. Uh, What we were able to do with creative thinking and working with partners, we moved all of our shelter guests uh, and took over and now operate a shelter hotel. So every person is in a separate room. Everyone has their own bathroom. They're supported and served in that way as well. And that has been going on uh, since early on in the pandemic, but was certainly something we were very, very concerned about. Uh, Equally uh, concerned, we're concerned with our elder residents and our residents at our nursing home. But at least our nursing home is designed and equipped for isolation, healthcare and things of that nature, whereas, uh, you know, our shelters, uh, both the one on the Falls Way and our shelters in Anne Arundel County and Harford County weren't designed that way. As your listeners may or may not know, we also operate 50 group homes uh, for individuals with intellectual disabilities. And really to try to keep these homes safe and, and, and clean and nice environments for our individuals has also been a challenge in Fortunately, we've been able to do that. We've had to stop our day programming services for our individuals uh, due to, you know, the medical compromised nature that many of our individuals have 
And so that's that's been a challenge. How do we uh, support people at home uh, at, without the day program services that we traditionally have offered? Similar, our, our adult day program uh, hasn't been reopened yet uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. But through um, telehealth and through virtual supports, we've been supporting family members taking care of a loved one at home that who have, would have traditionally come to our day program at St. Anne's. So as you know, you can see, you know, things are changed, but we're very, very fortunate that we've been able to continue to serve everybody, perhaps differently, but without missing a beat. And in some cases, the demand for services are much more than they were pre-pandemic. Sure, I would imagine so. And the uh, you still haven't missed a day of service at Our Daily Bread, have you? No, we've never, as you said, since June 1st, 1981, continuing to feed our neighbors who are hungry there. And uh, that's one a source of pride for me is with Our Daily Bread and my sister's place, people need to eat every day. And we're there uh, for our neighbors every, every single day. Uh, other things I was uh, thinking, Chris, that we maybe could talk about at some, some point is our services for the immigrant community. Uh, really a challenging time towards this pandemic. English classes are currently being offered um, remotely or virtually online. Our telehealth for Esperanza Health Clinic has done an amazing job of diagnosing and getting care and treatment uh, for our new neighbors in the immigrant community. And we have a polylingual uh, COVID hotline uh, that both does direct health care, case management, connection with services, but also reporting out test results from COVID tests uh, to members of the immigrant community and also connecting them to the extent uh, their positive results are for ways and places to isolate and be cared for and to really educate our, our new neighbors on what, what we should be doing uh, to stay safe and to keep our neighbors safe. That's great, Bill. You know, I, I know that your motto for the agency is cherishing the divine within all. And after the break, I want to talk to you some more about that and how that really sums up everything you do. We're talking today with Bill McCarthy about the work of Catholic Charities in Maryland. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with a Catholic Review. Pope Francis will travel to Assisi October 3rd to sign an encyclical on the social, political, and economic obligations that flow from a belief that all people are children of God and therefore brothers and sisters to one another. The Vatican Press Office, confirming the Pope's trip, said the document will be titled Fratelli Tutti in Italian. In English, the phrase could be translated as, quote, brothers and sisters all, end quote. Pope Francis is scheduled to arrive at the Assisi convent at 3 p.m. to celebrate Mass at the tomb of St. Francis and sign the document. The encyclical is expected to echo many of the themes Pope Francis has been discussing in his general audience talks on Catholic social teaching in light of the pandemic, human fraternity, the equal dignity of all people, the preferential option for the poor, the universal destination of goods, and the obligation of solidarity, care for the environment, 
and the virtue of peacemaking also are expected to be part of the encyclical. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. Gossip is a plague worse than COVID, Pope Francis said, asserting that while speaking ill of others, it comes almost naturally. It is a tool of the devil to divide the church. Commenting September 6th on the Sunday Gospel reading about Jesus telling his disciples what to do when a member of the community errs and requires correction, Pope Francis said that rather than helping the other mend his or her ways when we see a mistake, usually the first thing we do is to go and recount it to others to gossip. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. To all of our families returning to school, please have a safe week. From the virtual newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm Kevin Parks. You are listening to Catholic Review Radio on 1160 AM and 103.1 FM WMBT, the Guadalupe Radio Network. We are back on Catholic Review Radio, talking with Bill McCarthy, Executive Director of Catholic Charities for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. Bill, before the break, you were talking about the immigrant community, the, the new people who are coming to our area. Your motto for the agency is cherishing the divine within all. How does that phrase sum up the motivation of you and your team to live out the gospel and welcome everybody? It sounds like a simple phrase, but if you do it correctly and you think about it, uh, we recognize the inherent dignity in all people. And it's very uh, a humbling thing that we see Christ in every person and recognizing that we're all brothers and sisters and called on to care for and support one another. It's really what gives meaning to our work. It's really part of, uh, of the evangelization of the spirit and, and sense of people. How does Catholic Charities respond to immediate needs as well as work to fight systemic poverty? Are, are those two different kinds of work or can they, can they be woven together? I'm glad you brought that up. Certainly our goal and part of our, our vision is to ensure that everyone has the opportunity to achieve their God-given potential. Our ultimate goal is to ensure that everyone um, has the opportunity in a path towards independence and self-sufficiency. So certainly by addressing uh, systemic structural uh, barriers and inequities is something we work on simultaneously, you have to meet the immediate needs of people. So meeting immediate needs uh, for food, housing, uh, work are very, very important. But simultaneously, we want to bring about systemic and structural change uh, that makes our society uh, better and the lives of people certainly better. Does that systemic poverty, that systemic part of I mean, is that is it partly due to racism? Is it partly due to socioeconomic? What what's the driver there that you see? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, what we've experienced during the pandemic has been an awakening of of the unjust and impact uh, of systems and structures uh, based on race, and certainly based on um, you know economic differences as well. I believe and. What has been shown is all of these systems, whether it's inequitable application of the judicial system or law enforcement or health care or education, have all come to the top uh, during uh, this pandemic. And we work with the community 
and with many communities trying to address these things at the systemic and structural level. I believe that there's a long road here, but I think there's been a positive impact about the recognition of the systemic and uh, structural inequities that exist here in our community and in communities across uh, the country. I'll give you just a couple of examples, Chris, that many people don't focus on and worry or are aware of. Uh, the impact of COVID on black and brown communities has been disproportionately large. Two weeks ago, in the 21224 zip code, Highland Town, in the Latinx community, we had a positivity rate of 48%. That's huge. Yeah, unbelievable. At different points uh, during this crisis, we've seen similar um, rates of infection in the 21217 zip code of Sandtown, Winchester, and in other communities. And I often wonder, you know, why is that? You know, uh, certainly, I think the accessibility uh, to healthcare in some communities are much better and easier than others. And in some of these communities, we don't have the ability to isolate. We don't have the ability uh, to work remotely. Uh, we don't have the ability not to use public transportation to get to and from work. And we need to work. And in many of these communities, it's large numbers of people living and congregating in very small spaces. So you see um, how all of these factors, many of which that you and I might uh, take for granted, um, have an impact on the health care and the health outcomes uh, during this pandemic. Visualize this. I was on the corner of North Avenue and Greenmount three Thursdays ago, and I was had been delivering meals to the families of some of our Villa Maria school students. As part of the pandemic, we've been providing uh, weekly groceries to, to every student's every student's family in our school. As I sat there in the light at North and Greenmount, there was a bus stop right on the other side of the light. And I watched 20 people trying to cram in the back of the bus. Due to the design of the buses during this pandemic, patrons aren't allowed to go in the front of the bus, the front door. Right. The, drive, the drivers protect it. But as I watched these people, these, God bless, uh, people, mainly all wearing masks, but jamming into the back door of an MTA bus, I realized, how risky is that? I mean, a close proximity, not able to social distance. And really, I recognize using the bus to get to and from work and, and you know, and to home and their only way of getting places. And that behavior, you know, has risks in and of itself that none of us, that many of us don't think about or take. So that's just, that was just one example as I'm sitting there with something I knew at one level, but I'm sitting there and watching it and I'm thinking about it, that, man, this is something that we can address. How do we make transportation safer for people? Uh, as you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, we reduced the number of buses people were able to take. So less buses with 
a, a population and a group of people that relied on transportation to provide a, a you know, a source of living for their families uh, wasn't probably the right way to go. But right. that's just an example of that. Yeah. And when you were talking about that 40 percent positivity rate, that's compared to at the same time, the rest of the state was average below 5 percent. So just yeah. to give the, the listeners an idea of where that's coming from. And so what so that really that what really I think one lesson from that, Chris, is you can't rely on macros. You can't rely on the macro of a statewide positivity rate of three and a half or four percent when there are neighborhoods within a couple of miles from other neighborhoods that have a positivity rate that is so high that we really need to focus on our local neighborhoods, but really practicing uh, wearing masks and, 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 and social distancing and hand hygiene and all of that. We can't relax or get complacent because you hear good news at a, at a level that doesn't really explain the realities what, that has taken place in neighborhoods all around us. Exactly. I assume that you are working with state agencies, government agencies, and other faith groups. How do you work together with them? We work great. And I think one of the positive aspects of what has taken place is that community organizations, government partners, and other partners have really come together with a common purpose. Uh, Communication is better, um, identifying gaps in services, sharing best practices uh, has really brought uh, the community together. And I think you even see some of these good news stories in the news of people coming together with uh, making masks, donating PPE, you know, helping our neighbors has really been an extraordinary thing. So uh, one thing about, I think, our community is when times are tough, we really come together. Yeah, that is very helpful. In fact, I know that many of our parishes in the Archdiocese of Baltimore are still stepping up, taking their turn to make casseroles for our daily bread for the lunch program. How does this help and what other ways can people help? And that's a great point. Early on in the first few weeks of the pandemic, we were very concerned about our food, you know, our what I'll call our donated food supply really drying up because there was so much uncertainty. And uh, there were stay-at-home orders, so people didn't know how how do I get food uh, to the dining programs and meal programs at Catholic charities, and that has really picked up as people have been home more uh, donating food, which allows us to feed uh, so many of our neighbors that are hungry. At the beginning of the pandemic, we were serving over 10,000 meals a week, and that is being supported by so many parishioners and parishes that continue to do that work and help us with food distribution. Certainly one way uh, to help us as, as well. I think also, as we've come to this current state, uh, other ways we're trying to reintroduce volunteers back uh, to our programs. For example, with workforce development, having uh, people doing mock interviews and helping us with those, even though they're virtual mentoring children at St. Vincent's, even though at this point is virtual. So, so many ways that even even that the direct human presence and connection uh, using that virtual at this point, uh, because people are, are isolated and people need support uh, at this time. 
And uh, we're grateful for all the support that we get. Very quickly, because we're coming to the end of our segment, but if there was one problem you could solve while you're at Catholic Charities, what would that be? Well, that's a, a big question. I, I think the other thing, uh, problems as uh, evolve and change. Uh, the one thing I, I should have mentioned, uh, there's a big focus on evic- eviction prevention right now. Um, so many vulnerable households due to out of work. So we're certainly doing uh, that work today. Um, what I would like to do in a big and bold way, my, my goal would be to solve intergenerational poverty. If we solve poverty, uh, pov- poverty is a result of so many other ills and a sy- symptom of so many others. But if together we can have a more just and equitable society where we can eliminate poverty, people have the op- same opportunity regardless of what zip code you lived in or where you went to school or what your background was, Baltimore, the state of Maryland, and our country would be in a much better place. And by intergenerational uh, poverty, you're almost talking about poverty that's handed down from generation to generation because of their circumstances, right? Yes. Uh, and that's what you often see. And it's, it's a problem. We have to take a long view on this because it wasn't created overnight. And it's something that we work uh, with multi-generations as we attempt to address uh, poverty. Well, that's very good. We have been talking today with Bill McCarthy, Executive Director of Catholic Charities for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. For more information on the agency, you can go to cc-md.org. And uh, Bill has been with us today, and we just know that you are very committed to this, and your whole staff and all your volunteers are committed to serving the the poorest of the poor and serving folks uh, in Jesus' name. So we appreciate that. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for being with us today. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Review Radio. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.